Welcome to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Gun violence remains an important issue in America, with public health leaders calling for consensus-building efforts to promote gun safety. Here to go over the statistics and help explain how gun violence is a public health concern is Dr. Margaret Formica, an assistant professor in public health and preventive medicine at Upstate. Welcome, Dr. Formica. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about this important public health issue. Well, you're a co-author of an editorial in the American Journal of Public Health that is getting quite a bit of news coverage. It says that national firearm deaths, which includes homicides, suicides, and unintentional shootings, have climbed. Um, and I guess now we're at a plateau that began in 2000. So a couple of questions. Um, there's an accompanying chart that shows gun violence kills about as many people as sepsis, which is a serious blood infection. Um, how soon until gun violence surpasses motor vehicles? Uh, in mortality rates? Uh, so there have been actually quite a bit of variation in trends in gun violence over time. Uh, but in contrast, the rates of motor vehicle fatalities have steadily declined in large part due to the public health efforts. Like so, pub- the seat belts and things like yes, that? Yes, seat belts um, and regulations, different standards and in, in, uh, licensing, things like that. So we've seen a 59% decline in motor vehicle fatalities from 1969 to 2012. And if these same trends continue, we'll likely see gun-related deaths surpass motor vehicle deaths nationally within the next few years. And in fact, 21 states already have higher death rates due to firearms really? than motor vehicles. Wow. Wow. Now, nationally, there's this plateau, though. Is that a good thing? Does it, that mean that it's not increasing, or does it, that allude to something else? Uh, well, it's, it's certainly comforting that we're not seeing an increase in gun deaths. Uh, the fact that we've seen a plateau, though, since 2000 means that we're not doing a very good job of preventing uh, gun deaths and mm-hmm. looking at it from a prevention standpoint. In the United States, there's over 32,000 deaths uh, due to firearms every year, as well as over 67,000 injuries due to firearms every year. And these statistics are by far the highest among industrialized nations. Um, and what's so keenly important is that firearm-related injuries and deaths are preventable. So we should be seeing the same improvements that we've seen within other areas of injury prevention, but we're not. But we're not, huh? Now, I know you've uh, also looked at uh, the statistics from Syracuse, mm-hmm. right, with yes. the firearm violence. What, is, what does that show? Yeah, so colleagues and I were very interested in obtaining a better picture of the firearm epidemic locally. Uh, So we did obtain data from the Syracuse City Police Department on all incidents of shots fired, shots fired with injuries, and homicide by gun from January of 2010 to March of 2016. And during that time period, there were almost uh, 2,000 incidents, which resulted in over 500 shooting victims during that time. And when we calculated some of the numbers, the annual rate of homicide by firearm for the city of Syracuse was 6.1 per 100,000 people, which is one and a half times the national rate. So it's not just a public health problem nationally, it's a public health problem locally as well, and possibly even more so. Are you looking into reasons for that? We hope to. Uh, We're actually seeking funding to to potentially look at uh, some of the causes of that. Well, help us understand how um, gun violence is being framed as a public health issue. Um, Yeah, so there's actually a growing body of research that indicates that gun violence spreads like an infectious disease or it's contagious. Um, So, for example, we do know that gun violence actually clusters in time. We know that gun violence clusters in geographic areas, and we know that gun violence spreads among social networks, just like a lot of infectious diseases do. Like the flu. Yes, exactly, just like the flu. 
Um, so, but the reason this is really a public health issue in the United States is because firearm injuries and deaths significantly contribute to premature deaths, illness, and disability. Um, but again, these are preventable. Hmm. Okay. Well, I know uh, survey results on American gun ownership have been published recently. Uh, it comes from public health schools at Harvard and Northeastern. And it was somewhat surprising, at least to me, that the number of guns in the U.S. is 265 million or more than one gun for every American adult, and that 133 million of these weapons are concentrated among 3% of the population. Uh, the researchers called that 3% super owners who have amassed a, an average of 17 guns each. Did these findings surprise you? Yeah. Um, you know, actually the number of guns overall didn't surprise me. There's been a lot of estimates that have indicated that there may be up to 300 million guns in circulation, so that's actually a little bit lower than some of the other estimates. Um, and Americans have such strong views about gun ownership in this country, so that's not surprising mm -hmm. either. Uh, but what did surprise me is the number of guns owned by those super owners. 17 is a huge number um, to have in your home, a number of guns in your home. So that said, we don't know if having a greater number of guns in the home actually increases injury oh. or death um, compared to having fewer guns. Good point. That hasn't been studied. No, it okay. hasn't. <laughs> So, uh, so there was a big meeting in Boston in November after the election with representatives from 42 public health schools and several public health groups and gun violence prevention advocacy organizations. And you were there. So uh, if you can tell me what that was like and what was the outcome of the meeting? Sure. Uh, so Sandro Galea, the dean of Boston University's School of Public Health, organized the meeting, and he brought together representatives from schools and programs of public health, like you mentioned, across the country, as well as public health and gun violence prevention advocacy organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the opportunity to attend the meeting as the representative of the Central New York Master of Public Health Program that's here at Upstate. Uh, and so the first part of the day, we heard several pre presentations from leading gun experts and advocates in the field. And then we began the work at hand, which was to develop and agree on several areas of priority. And so we came up with five uh, really key tactical approaches that we identified as an agenda for action among academic public health to curb the firearm epidemic. Okay. All right. Well, I want to get into what those okay. uh, tactical sure. approaches are. But uh, first, we're talking with Dr. Margaret Formica about uh, public health research on gun violence on Upstate's HealthLink on Air. So this meeting and these tactical approaches, is this a response to the new president and his support for gun rights? Um, is there a fear that gun violence is escalating or that there will be no federal support for laws curtailing guns? Or is this sort of a response to that? Or uh, well, actually, the meeting was in the planning phase for several months prior well, to the was, election. Okay. Yeah, so, so um, you know, I think most of the people in attendance at the meeting really thought, as probably most of the country thought, that the outcome of the presidential election would be different. Um, but with the election of Trump, it did certainly impact the tone of the meeting as well as the conversation that resulted in that agenda for action. Um, Trump did campaign on a pro-gun platform, and he did have the support of the gun lobby. So there is some concern that there will not be a lot of federal support coming in the, in the next few years. Okay, so one, the, the first of those five tactical approaches was to strengthen research. Mm -hmm. 
So why do we need academic research on firearm-related morbidity and mortality? Why is that important? Uh, well, there's an incredible scarcity of funding and therefore research and publications on firearms. Um, and this is in large part due to legislation that was enacted by Congress in 1996 that stated that none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the CDC could be used to advocate or promote gun control. Um, and this was the result of strong lobbying by the National Rifle Association that was in response to a study in 1993 and then a, a later study in 1994 um, that found that guns in the home were strong risk factors for both oh. homicide and uh, suicide. Uh, so then the legislation was eventually expanded to include the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH, which also provides a lot of our federal funding. Um, so the great strides that we really made with motor vehicle injury prevention uh, was supported by research that helped us define the problem. So who was it affecting? Uh, where was it occurring? What were the circumstances surrounding those injuries? Um, and they were also, the, the research supported identification of what were the risk factors for motor vehicle injuries um, and how can we implement prevention strategies and are they effective? Uh, a lot of these same questions we haven't been able to answer with gun violence because we haven't had the funding and the research to do so. Just like in Syracuse, why is our rate higher? Exactly. You'd like to, okay, all right. Exactly. And then uh, the second uh, uh, approach was to build public health networks. Um, so the Coalition of Public Health Schools would like to convene a group of firearm owners, firearm manufacturers, police, pro-firearm advocates, safety advocates, everyone, all the invested parties, um, to find common ground. Do you think that that will be possible, um, given that guns are seen as such a foundational right in this country? Do you think there'll be a common ground? I do. I, uh, I actually think that um, making progress in the reduction of firearm-related injuries and deaths uh, is achievable if we uh, engage all of the stakeholders in the conversation and listen to all of their concerns to develop a comprehensive approach to the problem. And this actually has been done successfully in Massachusetts, uh, which has some of the most effective gun laws in the country, some of the lowest gun violence rates in the country, in part because of legislation that was enacted in the last few years that was passed because uh, all the stakeholders were at the table. Okay. And so maybe... Um I don't know, focusing on gun safety might be an example of a way to sort of get everyone together on the same page about something. Exactly. Shifting the conversation from one of gun ownership and gun control and concerns about bans of certain types of guns and shifting that framework to one of gun safety would definitely um, lead us in the right direction. So would do you think that um, you know more gun safety would do much toward reducing gun violence or firearm morbidity and mortality necessarily? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it with other areas of injury prevention, like the motor vehicles, that in injuries and deaths that we discussed. Uh, so there's no reason to believe that it would be less effective with gun violence. We just need the opportunity to, to conduct that research and, and move uh, forward with the public health initiatives. Okay. Now, with motor vehicle deaths, the overall decline in deaths is attributed to, like, seatbelts, vehicle safety designs, speed limits, roadway design, things like that. Is there some equivalent feature for firearms that could make a difference? Yeah. Uh, so there's actually smart gun technology um, that can prevent anyone other than the authorized owner of the gun from firing it. So, for example, wow. if a child picks up the gun, uh, it can't be fired. If the gun's stolen, it can't be fired. 
Um, but there are even simpler methods as well. Um, so things like the fact that we require all cars to be registered in this country. We don't have similar requirements for uh, guns in this country. Uh, all states, for example, require drivers to be licensed, but not all states require gun owners to be licensed. And, um, and finally, firearms actually remain the last consumer product manufactured in the United States that's not subject to federal health and safety regulations. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so we could actually simply require the gun manufacturers to meet minimum safety standards, just like we do for all other products that we use in the U.S. Okay. All right. Well, now the uh, fourth tactical approach was to nurture state-level initiatives. So what sorts of state-level initiatives are public health schools concerned with, and what would they like to see that would make an impact? So focusing efforts on gun safety legislation at the state level, like some that I just mentioned, uh, can be effective and may actually set precedent for um, federal action when the political climate is different. Uh, and federal action in the coming years is unlikely, uh, but three of the four initiatives promoting gun safety that were on state ballots in the November election actually passed. So there is promise to achieve these at the state level. Okay. All right. And then the fifth approach um, regards uh, the private sector a little bit. Um, there's mention that gun violence can depress business growth and harm neighborhood economies. The editorial in the journal says that the healthcare industry needs to get the ball rolling by examining what can be effective in reducing gun-related injuries and deaths. Are you aware of any efforts underway at Upstate to address this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there actually are efforts at Upstate. Um, so firearm injuries and deaths create an enormous economic burden with an estimated $229 billion in total societal costs annually. Um, but to meet that economic challenge, we need to not only engage the public health sector, but we need to engage private industry. And as you mentioned, that would include and hopefully start with the, the healthcare industry and the development and implementation of evidence-based initiatives. So one possibility is to incentivize the healthcare industry to develop and implement hospital-based violence prevention programs. And we do have one such program here at Upstate. It's the Violence Education Prevention Outreach Program, also known as BPOP. Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to look into that a little bit more um, in the future. I think we're going to have some of those people come and do a segment as well. Great. Wonderful. But I want to thank you for coming in and talking with me about this. My guest has been Dr. Margaret Formica from Upstate's Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine, talking about research on gun violence. And you've been listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.